17, 1 through 10. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. Let's pray. Father God, we lift your word to you this morning, God, we pray that You would give us understanding, Lord, that you would open your word. God, even as the psalmist declared, that you would give me eyes to see the beautiful things hidden here. God, we ask that you would affect our hearts with your word. God, that it would find fruitful soil within us to take root, to grow God, your word declares that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we ask that you would bless this morning as we come to your word. As we look to your word, God, be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're still part of what we began several weeks ago. So if you remember, several weeks ago, Jesus went to lunch with the Pharisees. The Pharisees noticed that tax collectors and sinners were flocking to him, and they wondered you know, to themselves, why, why is Jesus take all these people? Why does he want all these? These people are a mess. He should just keep us. That's what's implied. He should just be happy we're having him over. Why, why does he want them? And so Jesus begins teaching, and he begins working his way through the Scripture, as he's on his way to Jerusalem, telling them that, listen, I came to seek and to save the lost. I've come for the broken. The struggle all the way through this whole section is the Pharisees' inability to see themselves as broken or in need. So Jesus told many parables. We remember them, right? He told the parable of the the man who had a hundred sheep and lost one. And so he left the 99 and went and found the one. That's a picture of what Christ, what Messiah is doing, right? He's coming for the lost. And then it's also a picture of the attitude in heaven. When one sinner repents, what happens in heaven? Celebration, right? Because when he found his sheep, what happened? Big celebration. Woman lost a coin. She overturns her whole house to find the coin. What's the point? Seeking what is lost. And when we find what is lost, celebration. 
All of this, the point of a parable is to cast a truth alongside what is true so that you can see where, who am I in the parable? Who am I in the parable? Am I an example of people who rejoice over the lost getting saved? Or am I an example of pharisaical mindset that always sees themselves as more holy, more righteous, somehow elevated above others? Which category would we see ourselves? Would the Pharisees see themselves? Now we know that some of the Pharisees hear, don't we? We'll get to the end and we're going to see Jesus buried in a rich man's tomb. Where'd that guy come from? We saw in John chapter 3, uh, uh, the teacher of Israel, a guy named Nicodemus, right? Come and ask Jesus questions. Where do we find him at the end? Standing with Christ. So we know that these things are having an, an effect. Last week he said, now if you stay on this road, you're on. This, this attitude of rejection, this attitude that I don't need to, to consider my relationship with God. Then he told the story of the rich man and Lazarus, remember? The rich man wakes up in hell. Now it's too late. Now it's too late. And so he ended with this concept last week. He ended with this idea. If they won't hear what the Word of God says, they won't believe even if someone would rise from the dead. And you remember last week I told you of all of history, there is more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than anything you studied in history to date. And if you throw out the resurrection saying it's not a historical event, then you would also have to pitch history. And the things that we say we know about history. Because the same way we know them, we know the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have this reality, this truth. Why isn't the world coming? Because the the world ultimately, according to Romans chapter 1, the world knows there's a God. They don't need evidence for a God. Romans chapter 1 says, everyone knows God because God has shown himself to them. Men go to hell not because they don't know God. They go to hell for not worshiping the God they know exists. For their continued rebellion against him. And all the while Jesus is teaching, they're the group of Pharisees. They're always with him, right? Throwing in jabs here and there. But all the while, what I want you to hear, all the while, God's reaching out to them. In every teaching and everything we're going to discuss is an opportunity for them to take the Lord's hand. When we were going through Isaiah on Wednesday night, one of the things we discussed in Isaiah chapter 10, or chapter 9 and 10 uh, that we looked at was this attitude that the, the Lord is talking about judgment. He says, so, so the, the wrath of the Lord is still going out. And then right beside that it says, and his hand is reaching out. I know as a, as a father what that looks like because when I discipline my children, I don't want to keep going. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy discipline. I don't like it. I don't like doing it. What am I looking for? I'm looking for repentance in my child, uh, the, the attitude of wanting to reach out for the hand and be welcomed in, not continued rebellion. Discipline 
the, the rod is to drive out the spirit of rebellion. So God, as He's bringing that discipline against the nation, it says in the Scripture, all day long I reach out my hands. Yeah, there's judgment, there's discipline, there's things going on, but all day long the hands are out. All you got to do is take them. My, my sons could, could stand in my face and rebel all day long and the rod would stay in my hand. Or my sons could say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Dad. And the rod goes away. That's a father's job. That's our father in heaven. That's his role as well. All day long. So while the, while the Pharisees are point, taking the jabs, every one of these teachings, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to the Pharisees, kind of going back and forth. He's got point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint. All the while, while he's given this teaching, there's a hand. The hand of God is outstretched. All a man ever need do is repent. That's it. All a man need do is repent. And the hand of God is there to take him. So, Jesus begins this section with two problems that we face. And if we're honest, we all can, can acknowledge, uh, I struggle with forgiveness and faith. Well, I know I'm supposed to forgive, and I know I'm supposed to have faith. But if I'm honest, those are two areas where I have a struggle. I don't always want to forgive. Do you? And I don't, I, sometimes I struggle with faith. I struggle, I struggle with trusting like I know I should. And here Jesus is going to blend them together. He's going to blend these ideas together. Let's take a look. He begins in verse 1. He said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one for who, or through whom they come. Woe to the one who brings them. A temptation is scandal on. It's a, it's a stumbling block. Uh, he says stumbling blocks are going to come. Anybody ever tripped over a stumbling block? How about in your spiritual walk, in your spiritual life? You ever tripped? You ever tripped over what somebody else did or what somebody else said? So here's the good news. Jesus said, they have to come. Those, are going, those things are going to happen. And then Jesus says, woe to you if you're the one who, who is causing it to happen. Woe to you. Don't be the source of stumbling for your brother. We, we understand that, don't we? We understand he's going to develop that concept a little bit more. But when we consider it, the Bible talks about this several ways. We, we look at Paul. When Paul writes in Romans chapter 14, verse 13, he says, Therefore, do not pass judgment on one another any longer. What does that mean? Come on. What does it mean? It means you have been passing judgment on one another. Right? He said, don't do this anymore. So, we should hear that. Don't do this anymore. Be, why? Why should we hear that? Because you're still doing it. You're still doing it. You did it this morning. You did it this morning when somebody looked at you funny and you wondered what that look was about. Or somebody walked by and didn't say hi. Maybe you took the opportunity to impute evil. Don't do that. That's all the enemy's game. That's all the enemy's game. You start running in your head what that means. Anybody ever done that? You start running in your head. Oh, this is what that means. And, he, and this means that. And that means this and this. And pretty soon, you're way down the road. And the next thing you're going to do, I'm going to tell you, the next thing you're going to do 
is you're going to go tell somebody about it. And when you go tell somebody about it, I'm going to tell you what you just did. The definition of scandalon. You put a stumbling block in front of them. Because you gossiped about something that may or may not be true. And now they listened. So they followed you in sin. And now we got two people stumbling over something that's perceived, but may not be real. And the good news is, guys, here's the good news. The Bible tells you how to do that right. There's a wrong way to do it. I just described it. And there's a right way to do it. Well, let's look at what Jesus says, what he lays out for us. Paul said in Romans 14, 21, it is, it, it, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So the attitude is, I don't want to trip up my brother. I don't want to trip him up with my gossip. I don't want to trip him up with my mind trips. I don't want to trip him up with my behavior. Right? I want to be encouraging to him. I want, to, I want to help him. That's the goal. That's what happens when we come together. When we come together, here's how we do things wrong. We come to church and you're all waiting for me to give you something. <laughs> I don't got nothing to give you, Matt. I'm hoping I get something from you. We're coming together as a body so that the body might be edified through the gifts we each have as we come together. That means your hug, your encouragement, your your bright word, your whatever, whatever things you have to offer, offer them up. That's what we do within the body. First Corinthians eight, nine, Paul writes, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Well, I got a right to feel how I feel and say what I say and do what I do. I used to tell my wife this for years, honey, you knew who I was when you married me. Anybody ever said those words? Yeah. Honey, you knew who I was. This is not a shock. This, this reaction to me. Be, but take care that this right of yours is not somehow becoming a stumbling block to the weak. Jesus Christ laid down his rights, according to Philippians chapter 2, and he calls me to do the same, right? And here's the good news. It took me a while to get this. Jesus didn't save me to leave me like I was. He saved me to redeem me. To, to, my wife right now is saying, hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a work in progress, but thank God, so are you, right? God is doing a work. He's moving. 1 Corinthians 8, 13. He says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. He's saying, look, if this is a problem for you, then I'm not going to do it. So this is the right attitude, right? This is the right attitude. This is how not to cause someone to stumble. Woe if this is, if this is what comes. But look what he says in verse 2. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea then he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Now, in the context in Luke, who's the little ones? I can go to Matthew, and I can say, in Matthew, Jesus is going to take a child and put him in his midst. And he's going to say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. You must come to the kingdom of God like this little child. And then you know what he's going to say? And woe to you if you cause this little one to stumble. So he's, he's likening... The saved 
to a little child who comes before the Lord. Now in the context where we're at, Pharisees are griping about Jesus bringing in tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and sinners in this context are the little ones. And the, the concept of Pharisees teaching the traditions of men as the commandments of God, causing these little ones to stumble. Hey, don't stumble one of these little ones. Don't stumble one of these little ones. It'd be better to put a millstone around your neck. It'd be better to throw that millstone in the sea and be drowned than for you to cause one of these little ones, these tax collectors, these sinners, these children of the faith. Don't cause a child of the faith to stumble. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. We'll be looking at Matthew 18 quite a few times this morning. It says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That sounds familiar, right? Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come. Scandalon, stumbling blocks. <clears throat> but woe to the one through whom that temptation comes. Now listen to what Jesus says. So if your hand causes you to sin, or your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands, two feet, and be thrown into eternal fire. There's an issue that I struggle with. There's a thing I have a hard time with. The Lord says it's better to cut that off. To take drastic measures that say, look, i got to stay away from this. i got to stop. I have an autistic son. And my son, as a result of his autism, has ruts in his brain. Here's some good news for you. So do you. And these ruts in his brain mean that when certain things happen... He responds a certain way every single time. I can set my watch by it. He's going to respond this way, this certain way. This is what's going to occur. Our challenge as his parents is to help him develop new ruts. So that that behavior which is not appropriate is changed for something that is. And it's a challenge because if you've ever been out on a dirt road on a dirt bike and been close to a rut, what does a rut want? It wants you. A rut wants you in the rut. A rut exists for you to get in it. But we need to cut new ruts. Jesus says that rut, that desire, that thing, that sinful thing that is always constantly when it raises its head, drawing me toward it. We always think of those ruts in different ways. And maybe we should maybe we should change the way we look at them. Maybe it is the ability to be offended or to impute ill will with somebody else. Or maybe it's the gossip, or maybe it's looking at things you shouldn't look at or doing things you shouldn't do. Rather than keeping that on a shelf somewhere or petting that beast, Jesus says, cut that out. Cut it out of your life. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come talk to me and say, Pastor, I'm struggling. I really have a hard time dealing with, with porn in my life. And, 
And so I say, well, get rid of your computer and shut off your cable. I can't do that. What do you mean you can't do that? Well, I do that, I'll still have it on my phone. Get rid of your phone. Oh, I can't live without my phone and my cable TV. It's football season. I can't miss a football game. And, 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 and all, this, all, all of a sudden, all the excuses come. Pitch it. Cut it out. Get rid of it. Once upon a time, in order to struggle in porn, you had to go visit little shops. And I remember in Ukaipa, I grew up in Ukaipa, they had an a adult bookstore come to Ukaipa, and people picketed outside the adult bookstore, and the next thing you know, that dude had to pack up and leave. And you think, oh, cool, we can control this. Or then the internet. Well, you can't control nothing. Your phone. You're, you're, you're three seconds from anything. Anytime. You don't got to go nowhere. You just got to be in a dark corner. Jesus says if there's, if there's a rut in your life, if there's a struggle in your life, and trust me, you know it. By now, folks, you're not shocked by it. If your issue is, you know, I, I, I always see something wrong in somebody else, or your issue is imputing ill will where there is no ill will, or your issue is porn addiction, or your issue is... Whatever. You know it. I don't got to tell you what it is. Jesus said, cut it out. Better to live without internet, TV, or a phone than to rot in hell. Yes or no? Oh, wow, that's easy, right? That's easy decision. So the problem is it's not going to stay easy. (laughs) Stay tuned. We want to get the easy ones over with first. It says in verse 10 of Matthew 18, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you, in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. That's uh, the concept through which uh, guardian angels come. The guardian angels over little children. But in the context, the little child is an example of who? The, The little child is an example of a believer coming to the kingdom of God. Unless you come as this little child, right? Unless you come as this little child. Children of the faith. We don't want to cause people to stumble. And then he goes on. If a man has a hundred sheep, one goes astray. What's he do? Leaves the ninety-nine and goes and finds the one that's lost. Lose a coin. He does the same thing. When they find him, what happens? Rejoicing. Okay, so we see we're all in context. We're all in context with what we're talking about. So how... Should we respond then? How do we respond when these things happen? Because Jesus said these things are going to happen. Didn't he say that? They're going to happen. So woe to you. Don't be the guy who makes it happen. So we got that part down. All right. I want to make sure I take care of those things in my life. What do I do? What's my attitude to be when it happens? Verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins. What's the next word? Okay, so here's the number one problem in the church today. You will not talk to the person who has offended you. Why? I have people that I I hadn't seen for a year who who were mad at me. But they never told me. So, I I don't know, I'll, I'll just give you guys Jackie 101. Jackie 101, here's how I work. If you and me are hanging out and that stops, 
I'm going to assume you don't want to hang out no more. And I'm just going to go on with life. If you don't tell me something's wrong, I'm going to assume we're cool, but you've got something else going on. I'm good. Why am I like that? I don't know. I will go a year, two, three years not talking to my brothers. And my brother will call. And you know what? We're not mad. We just pick up where we left off last. That's how I am. Yeah, that's one. how I am. I know God's saved me to change me. He's, that's a work in progress, right? But that's how I am. So listen, if I have offended you and you don't tell me, I won't get the hint. Well, I stopped coming to church. Well, that's you got to be one of a hundred people. There's at least hundred people that have stopped coming in nine years. A lot of people stop coming to church. A lot of people stop coming just because they want to go somewhere else for a while. That's okay. I'm okay if you want to go to church someplace else. God bless you. Be a blessing. That's not a bad thing, right? I'm, I I don't assume you're lost unless I know you're out running around in the bar someplace, and I'm gonna come looking. But if you're going to church somewhere else, hallelujah, praise the Lord, be a blessing. That's not the lost sheep, is it? The lost sheep somewhere else, isn't he? Well, that's where the lost son was in the pig's pen, right? He wasn't at the church across the street. So, you're gone a year. Next time I see you, all the, that's when I know something's wrong. Because I see him and I'd say hi and you just walk by. Whoa, what's up? What's going on? What did the Bible say to do? If I offend you, what did the Bible say to do? We're believers. No? Okay, then we live by the book. Yes? The book says, if your brother sins, so I I have somehow caused you to stumble or done something in your eyes that's wrong. The Bible very clearly says, rebuke him. Oh, that's uncomfortable though. Isn't that uncomfortable? To rebuke someone? So rather than rebuke someone, I'm going to tell 50 people what a jerk you are. Wait a minute. What's that? Oh, oh, are we, are we now? Now, one person was guilty of laying a stumbling block before you of something, some event, right? But now you've laid out 10 or 15. Don't you see that's what the devil does to destroy the effectiveness of the church? And we all take pot shots at one another, and then when it's all, when all clears, somebody somewhere is saying, no, church is a waste of time. That's dumb. I ain't going there. Well, it's not because church don't work. It's because we're not doing it. What did the Bible say? If your brother sin, do what? To who? Rebuke him. Talk to him. For crying in a bucket, if I offend you, tell me. I'll tell you what you'll hear. You will not hear a fight. Because I promise you, I did not offend you on purpose. I have character flaws. I'm aware of my character flaws. I will fall before you and ask for forgiveness. Now, what's the Bible say to do when that happens? Oh, look at this. You guys all know these things already. We're going to get out early today. We'll be able to get out early. No, we won't. You know better than that. Well, I think you will. Look. <laughs> he says, he says, I'll go faster now. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Now listen to this part. If he sins against you seven times that day, 
the implication is he did the same thing seven more times. Oh. Wow. The definition of repentance is change of direction. I know that. How could he possibly do it seven times the same way? It's going to get harder in a minute. Well, I'll tell you, because people don't like to hear this, because, here it is, you're broken. You are a tax collector and a sinner. How many times have you stumbled in the same sin? How many times have I stumbled in the same sin? How many times have I, in my life, been rude to my wife? Dear? Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, that all sounds good. I won't, I won't show you guys the record of wrong at my house. But <laughs> but I love this about my wife. You know what? When I, I'll mess up seven times in a day. She'll forgive me still. That's why we've been married for a long time. Hmm. See how I did that? I don't know. 86, right? 3886, that's our password. 3886. So, 32 years, right? I can do math, I just can't remember things. But that's the key to a that's the key to longevity in a relationship, right? Because let's not pretend. Jesus said in the beginning, it is impossible that these things don't happen. Woe to you if it happens through you. But if it does, you need to confront the issue. Hey, you did this. You. And then, when they repent, when they respond like a believer should, wow, I really didn't mean to offend you, I'm sorry. Then we do what? Forgive them. And ten minutes later, it happens again. And what are you supposed to do? Now go tell ten people. No, no, no. What do you do now? You go to the person and say, hey, you just did it again. Oh, my gosh. You know what? I'm sorry. Let's pray. Help me, Lord, not to be like this. I'm going to turn in the other direction. And you do what? Forgive them. And ten minutes later, it happens again. Oh, come on. That's when we get to stop, right? No, he says, as many as seven times. Now, here's the part of the story you don't want to get to, right? Because we know in Matthew, Peter asks a question. Okay then, Lord. So I'm supposed to forgive him as many as seven times, right? You remember what Jesus said? No, 70 times 7. That's 490 times. Now here's what God's counting on. You can't count that high. You can't, you're not, you're going to lose track in a day, right? Honestly, I think Jesus is referring to God's forgiveness of the nation of Israel for 490 years. And so you have the right, you can, you will forgive someone for the same exact sin for 490 years, then you have the right to hold a grudge. Pretty good chance none of you are going to live 490 years, huh? See how I did that? See how I did that? God wants us to forgive over and over and over. And so seven times he says, I repent. Listen to what it said. 
Seven times he said, I repent. What's the next line? You must forgive him. Because who does unforgiveness hurt? Hurts me. Hurts me. Just studying for this. I have an unforgiveness issue in my life. An event that happened to me like 30 years ago. And if I start thinking about it, I still get mad today. And I, and I have a hard time wanting good things to happen to these people. And I, I still today, and, and while I was studying for this, the Lord was like, Hey, preacher, are you listening? Hello, hello. Yes, Lord, I hear you. It's, that's my, I got to let it go. I got to give it to God, right? Who's the judge? Jesus is the judge of the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. He, he, he gets that job, not me. So who do I give it to? The Lord, it's yours. Now, I might have to do that for the next 30 years. But the Lord reminds me through times like this. Say, hey, Jackie. Oh, come on, brother. Forgive. What I really want to do is go tell somebody about it. I want to go, I want to run over to Jared and say, Jared, you know what these guys did to me 30 years ago? And I want Jared to say, those guys are buttheads. That's what I want him to say. Isn't that why we do it? And then, I, and then Jared will, ah, oh, that's right. But what did I just do? I just put a stumbling block where? In front of my brother, in front of a little child, a child of the faith. And he's tripping now too. So Jesus said, don't do that. If somebody upsets you, go talk to them. If they repent, forgive them. That's how it works. That's how it's supposed to be accomplished. Pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to this. I want to rebuke my brother. Leviticus 19.17. Listen, this is all the way back in the law. Don't be afraid of that. That's a great book, by the way. Leviticus 19.17. Listen to what it says. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. Listen, do not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. Lest you incur sin. How? Because of him. So what's it say? If you got a problem with your neighbor, do what? Talk to your neighbor. Tell him. Regain a brother. Rebuke a brother. In 2 Timothy 4.2, how does it say to do it? It says, preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. And exhort. How? With patience and teaching. That's how you rebuke. No, it doesn't mean you get to pull the cork out of the bottle and spew all over somebody. In Proverbs, the Bible calls that person a fool. One of the, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is self-control, right? So when we're functioning in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to express ourselves... Without losing control. Yeah? I know you can do it. I know every one of you can do it. Because I know I've been a fly on a wall in your house. When chaos is breaking loose. And there's one of them humdingers of a fight going on in the house. Maybe between you and your kids. Maybe between you and your spouse. Maybe between you and your neighbor. And it's all, it's just crazy. Shouting, screaming, even throwing cups. 
throwing things, you're hiding behind a door, protecting yourself from what they're throwing, and then the phone rings. And you don't pick up the phone and go, What? <laughs> you pick up the phone and go, Hello? <laughs> yeah. You have self-control when you want it. Yeah, that's how it is. I've been there. I've been there. We want to rebuke with patience and teaching. Matthew eighteen fifteen says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. Go tell your brother. Stop this craziness. This is what this world is like. Oh, guess what? We got the next verse. Yeah. <laughs> That's good news, huh? That's a good question. It's a good question. So what do I do? I went and I tried to talk to him. He says, if he listens to you, you gained your brother. But if he does not, take one or two others along with you. So that every charge can be confirmed. By the mouth of two or three witnesses. Now that's an important part. This is what the Bible says. Now this is what our nation hasn't learned yet. We just watched it in the news. Our nation hasn't learned this, but what the Word of God says is that you do not bring a charge against someone with one witness. You bring a charge against someone with two or three. You bring two or three witnesses that have, have had a similar experience. And you try it there. And if they still won't, then you bring it before the church. Come to the elders. Sit down. And if they still won't, Jesus says, that guy's probably not a brother. Because somewhere along the line, he would have responded like the Bible says. If he didn't, he says, treat him like a tax collector or a sinner. What's that mean? Probably not a believer, so he's not, he doesn't care what the Bible says. So now I have a different way to reach out to him, right? Rather than trying to get him to follow the moral code that the scripture teaches, now I want to come to him and say, you need to get saved, brother. Right? So that it changes, it changes the way that we deal with it. But nowhere in that did it say, go gather a personal army, did it? Did it say, go talk to 50 people and let them pat you on the back? Let's be honest, that's what we do. That's what we do. What we don't do, what we tend not to do, is go talk to the one who's offended us. And, and get the relationship fixed. That's what God's word teaches us to do. And then we forgive. So what do the, what do the disciples say next? Look at verse 5. So the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Well, there's a reason they said that, right? Oh, Lord, help me. How am I going to do this? It's not easy. So he says, Lord, increase our faith. How, how do we do it? And so Jesus said, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. So he says, you don't need a, you don't need a ton of faith. You need a little faith. And the key to having the faith you need to do what God's asking you to do is what the, what the disciples did, what the apostles did. What, what they do, they asked. If you ask for faith, will your father give you a stone? Or a scorpion? Or a serpent? 
If you ask for faith, will he give it to you? He will. He will. If I don't have the faith, I need to ask. I need to say, Lord, I need you to give me the faith. I want to have the response of faith. I want to respond like I need to respond to this issue. I want to, I want to be able to say these things happen. This is normal life, right? Normal life. We get offended, and this is how we need to deal when we get offended. Who's offended in this story as Jesus is teaching? Who's offended? Pharisees are. Right? Pharisees are offended. Now Jesus has been laying down parable after parable. Guys, the road you're on, you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to repent. You need to repent. You need to rejoice when the lost get saved. You need to come too. You need the same salvation they need. You need to come. You need to respond. You need to respond. What do they need? Faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the Lord said, if you had faith. Now, in Greek grammar, there are class conditions to the sentence structure whenever the word if is used. And in this particular grammar structure, in this sentence, that if is a sense. Since you have faith of a mustard seed, you can do this. Just like you can say to that tree, be removed and, and cast into the sea, or that mountain, or this thing, or that thing, faith can move the obstacles in our life. Jesus is saying, since you have it, you can do this. The tree will obey What is the tree in the story? That's another parable. What's the tree? Your desire. Your your heart that doesn't want to forgive. Your heart that doesn't want to lay aside the offense. Your heart that doesn't want to confront. But Jesus is saying, since you have faith, you should be able to move your heart. Ask. Ask, and he will give. Now, in verse 7, he he lays down another parable, another teaching, another rhetorical set of questions. Look at it. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping the sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? The idea is, come in here now, I'll serve you. Jesus is saying, no, that's not how that relationship works. That relationship doesn't work that way. You'll say, come in here and serve, and then afterwards you're done, and and you can serve yourself. And if your servant does what is expected of him, has he earned something special? Is there something special that he's gained as a result of just doing what he's supposed to do? It's a rhetorical question. demands a negative answer. The idea is this is not the way the relationship works. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, dress properly, serve me, and while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant for doing what he ought to do? Now it's a parable. It's laid down beside the behavior that Jesus is looking for. What's the behavior that Jesus is looking for? If you've got a problem with your brother, go to your brother. If your brother asks or repents, forgive your brother. That's what he's asking, right? So he's laying down beside that is, now if you do that, you think you should get something special. Or are you just doing what you're supposed to do as a believer? Should 
Should God be in your debt because you forgave someone who offended you? Or are you just actually doing what you're supposed to do? Isn't that how it works? If Jason or Levi come to me and they say, Wow, you know, I cleaned the bathrooms up this week really well. And I'll say, Cool. Thanks. Don't you think I should get a bonus? No. (laughs) You get one of those every week when I write a check. That was the thank you. You're just doing what is expected. That's just a part of the job. Right? So as a believer, part of the job as a believer is that we take care of each other in our relationships with one another. So let me issue a challenge for you this week. Let me issue a challenge. If you got somebody for whom you are, you have an offense, don't come tell me, Jackie, I have an offense against so-and-so. What should I do? I just preached about it. Go to your brother. Go to your sister. Make it right. Give them the opportunity to repent and then do what? Forgive them. And stop putting stumbling blocks in front of each other. Right? Nobody's going to say that doesn't happen in church, are they? Right. So we know that that stuff goes on. Let's fix it. Let's, let's make it a, a church that really reflects the character of Christ, right? That, that, that follows what the Word of God says. Not that we're looking for, for kudos from somebody to say, whoo, kudos. Because we're just doing what we're supposed to do. Right? We're just doing what we're supposed to do. Now, over here on the side, Pharisees standing, looking down their nose at them, them, them new believers coming in that are all dirty, they're sinners, they're a mess, they're, they're all messed up. And Jesus is saying to them, you've got an offense against these guys. You should talk to them. And when they repent, you should forgive them. You should forgive them. So that we can have a unified family. You guys know our nation's not unified, right? We hate each other. We hate each other because of all the same stuff that happens in the church. We're offended by this thought or that thought or that political view or this social idea or that thing or whatever. And instead of talking to each other, we just pick up a stone. And we walk over to our brother and we bash his head in. And man's been doing it. 10,000 years, huh? Or more. Man's been doing it a long time. And we keep looking out there thinking, you know what? The world needs to change. The world needs to change. They need to stop. They need to put all these things down. Well, let's try a different outlook on it. How about we change? How about we change and people begin to notice how we treat each other and they want to come in instead of run away? How about we try that? Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that be an awesome thing that you'd want to be a part of? I mean, I know I appreciate it. I've I've had people come to me and say, Jackie, you know, I was this thing you said or this thing you did. This upset me and it always gives me the opportunity to make it right. And I still have those relationships today. Because people were faithful. I need to be faithful. You need to be faithful. We need to be faithful to see. These are the things that Jesus is asking of us. 
In verse 10 he said, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. Not unworthy, God doesn't care about you. Unworthy in the sense we don't need something special. We're just doing what we're supposed to do. We're just being who we're supposed to be. Who are we supposed to look like? Aren't we supposed to look like Jesus? Aren't we supposed to have the same compassion he did? Aren't we supposed to have those same attitudes? Look, we want to have the attitude of Christ. We want to be like him. I don't want to be like the scribes and Pharisees, and I've been them. I've been that guy looking across and looking across and thinking about that person or this person. Oh my gosh, what a mess. And Jesus would not have looked across. He would have went across. He'd have put his hand in their hand. If he had to say something about what was going on in their life, he'd have said something. And if what was happening in their life was just in need of a little compassion, he'd have done it. Because I know a dirty leper who came running up in front of Jesus, fell down on his knees in front of him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, he didn't turn around and walk away and say, you dirty, dirty guy. He did what nobody had done in that guy's life ever since he'd been a leper. He reached out and touched him. I am willing. Be clean. Are you willing to let your neighbor be clean? To let the person that you have an offense against. Are you, are you willing to let them be clean? Then you've got to give them the opportunity. Let's take the division in the body of Christ and let's get rid of it. And then let's let that attitude spread outside the doors. Would that be okay? And let's watch what Jesus said would happen, happen. They'll know you belong to me by the way you love each other. Let's work on that. And let's see what Jesus can do in this crazy upside down world. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We thank you for the opportunity to, to, to take a look at this text, Lord God, and the call that you give. Lord, I pray it would be our desire. Lord, I want to be like you. I want to forgive my brother. I want to I get over the, the hang-ups in my life. I want to lay them down. I want to stop seeing evil everywhere I look, and I want to start imputing good. I want to... I want, to, I want to recognize what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When he talked about love and the way love is expressed out of a life that has truly been touched by the, the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He says, I will show you a more excellent way. More excellent way. Love. Oh man, just think of all the things he lays out for us hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Man, I I want to express that. And the way I express that is is to be obedient to my master. And my master is saying, hey, I want you, if you've got a problem with your brother, talk with him. Give him an opportunity to repent, to ask your forgiveness. And then forgive him. Let's do that. God, I want that to be the heart of our body. I want our body to get, a, get beyond those things that divide us, those issues that separate us, 
and put them out in the open and allow the things that are actually really an issue, really sin, that we can lay those things down, put them aside, be reconciled one to another. That we can come together as a diverse body of Christ. Not all thumbs, not all fingers, not all eyes. But each one fulfilling his part within the body. We still maintain our diversity, but we have unity because our unity is in Christ. Just like Christ had the unity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He said in John 17, Lord, let them be one as we are one. Unify my body. And even as we see Jesus walking through the streets and he's teaching and he's sharing and we see the division between those who who are coming to him, scribes and Pharisees off on the side, tax collectors, sinners. Jesus is saying, ah, no division here. Unity. God, we've been divided. You make us whole. God, we've been disobedient. You make us obedient. God, we struggle with the faith, the faith we need to actually do what the Word of God tells us to do. So God, give us the faith. God, do it all. Reconcile it all in and through us and and enable us and equip us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be the men and women we need to be so that you can be glorified in your church. So God, we pray that you would move in this place. We pray that you would move among us. We pray that you would do your perfect work in and through us. Be glorified in it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.